This is Truth With Grace, the media ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're so pleased you've joined us today as we continue our exploration of the truth found in God's Word and the grace of salvation. Pastor Pierre Rosa is continuing his preaching through the Gospel of Matthew, and today we're nearing the end of chapter 13. This chapter of Matthew contains several parables, all stacked together to communicate important truths about the kingdom of heaven. We've already looked at the parable of the sower, the parable of the weeds, the parable of the mustard seed, and the yeast. Today, we'll cover three more short parables, which are parallel in their meaning and explanation. Jesus will ask us to examine just how highly we value our salvation. Is it really the central feature of a transformed life? Our actions should demonstrate the truth. My name is Brian Schmidt, and I'll have more information for you at the end of this program. But for now, let's listen to today's message from Pastor Pierre. Let's follow along here. Matthew 13, verses 44 through 52. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells everything that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding the pearl of great value, he went and sold everything that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they pulled it up on the beach and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and remove the wicked from among the righteous, and they will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes. And Jesus said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household who brings out of his treasure new things and old. So church, three parables here, three features of the kingdom of heaven that teach us the preciousness of our salvation, the appraisal of Jesus Christ, how much we should value him because he is your greatest treasure, I hope. And that's what we're going to talk about today. First of all, let's talk about the estimation of the kingdom, verses 44 through 46. Rather than lament coexistence with evil that Jesus explained in previous parables. The rejection that people will experience during the mystery form of the kingdom of heaven, he explained that. Opposition and even perceived low influence in the world. Subjects of the kingdom of heaven, you and me, should hold the kingdom of heaven in incalculable esteem, priceless value. And here's how Jesus illustrates that principle, first of all, in the first parable. Now, the fictitious man here stumbled upon a treasure. Either he was plowing the field of his boss, somebody hired him to do that, and he was plowing that field, and he stumbled upon an unspecified treasure. We don't know what that treasure is. It's not important. That's not the point of the parable. Or he was walking along this field, and he, again, stumbled upon and discovered this treasure. He hid the thing back, whatever that was, and purchased the entire field, because legal ownership of that land would entitle him to own that treasure. Jesus would never teach a divine principle using a shrewd business practice. So we can assume that the man in this fictitious story here disclosed the finding to the landowner. And that's important for us to understand because of the context here. Just imagine yourself in a similar situation. Let's say a friend hires you to work on his 
sprinklers. You are working in the sprinklers and you're, you're digging in the yard and you discover coal. Now, integrity demands you to tell the owner of the house, the newest millionaire in the neighborhood, that he has a great treasure in his house. Now, he would never sell the property to you unless he did not see any value in the treasure that you found. And that's key for us to understand this parable here. We don't know what the treasure is. And again, it's not important. What we know here is that this man liquidated everything he had and offered to buy the land from the landowner. He did buy the land from the landowner. The point here is that the fictitious landowner did not see the value that this other man found in his land. He preferred to cash in the profit from the sale of his property because whatever that man found in the treasure was not of value to the landowner. And the context in which Jesus told this story confirms that to us, supports this conclusion. Because again, if we go back to chapter 12, we will see how the Pharisees neglected the proverbial treasure in their field. Jesus Christ was there talking to them and yet they did not see the value in Christ. They rejected Jesus as the Messiah. They did not appreciate him properly, like many people today who want nothing to do with Jesus Christ because they prefer the perceived popularity that comes from rejecting God and the principles of God. They do not treasure the kingdom of heaven. In fact, they laugh at us. Contrast the view of the Pharisees or the fictitious landowner here with the biblical perspective. Paul reminds us we have this treasure in earthen vessels. In 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7, he's talking about our so great a salvation. Jesus Christ lives in us. It's the hope of glory. We have the treasure of heaven in this earthly vessel. Then he also prays, according to Ephesians 1 verse 18, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And Paul says, I pray that you will embrace that perspective. The author of Hebrews, speaking about Moses, observes a similar thing here when he talks about the fact that the lawgiver refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. That's in Hebrews 11 verses 24 through 26. So you see the pattern here, church? Those of us who are born again, members of the kingdom of heaven, we stumbled upon a great treasure. None of us were really seeking God because the Bible says no one seeks God. We'll get to that in a moment here when we get to the next parable. But I want us to appraise the so great a salvation we have and in the way that Jesus is explaining here and the rest of scripture also agrees. Again, the world doesn't understand. The world doesn't get it. Because to them, there's no value in suffering for the sake of Christ. There's no value in losing comfort, losing popularity, being pushed to the, towards the margin of society here. But we don't mind because we would sell everything we have to secure our greatest treasure. Not that we have to do that. Our greatest treasure is already secure in Christ. When you came to Christ, my friend, you received the greatest treasure there is. The greatest treasure people can ever receive. And no one can, can ever take that away from you. You will never lose it. But do you value it? That's the question because that's the lesson Jesus teaches here. Now look at verse 45, the second parable here. He, Jesus illustrates the same exact lesson. It's a parallel parable. Now, presumably the first man in the first parable found a great treasure here accidentally. But the fictitious merchant, in this case, went to great lengths to obtain the object of his desire. 
And by specifying this man's effort, Jesus, I want you to know, is not validating the so-called seeker movement. So don't even think about that because that is not the point here. He's not saying that some people seek the kingdom, other people don't. And let me prove that to you by giving you some scripture for you to think about. For example, Romans 3 verse 11, the Bible says that no one ever seeks God. So you may think that you were seeking God when you came to faith in Christ, but in reality, it was God that was drawing near to you. Genesis 5 verse 6. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. So that is total depravity. People who are totally depraved don't seek God. And being totally depraved doesn't mean you are as bad as you can be. It means that your will, your mind, your body, your emotions, everything is affected by sin. Therefore, unless God draws people to himself, no one will ever seek the kingdom of heaven. See, Jesus is focusing on the value of the treasure. The guy would go through great lengths. No, you, you don't go through great lengths to get something you don't care about. Why do you think Jesus instructs us in the Sermon on the Mount? Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Church, the reason he, Jesus instructs us to do that is because we don't naturally seek God. See, our tendency, even in our, in our flesh, naturally is to move away from God. You will never accidentally be more godly. Look at verse 46. Once again, Jesus omits the details. And like the previous man, the merchant appraised the kingdom of heaven much higher than all of his possessions. Therefore, the lesson of these parables emerges very clearly here in terms of application. We should assess the kingdom of heaven in such a way that the cost of discipleship pales in comparison. You understand that? We should value our position in Christ we should value our so great a salvation in a way that the cost of discipleship, whether it's persecution, abandonment, rejection, neglect, or even our own lives, should pale in comparison to the worth of the kingdom of heaven, to the blessing of belonging to Jesus Christ. Again, your salvation is free, my friends. But following Jesus Christ will cost you everything. And it's worth the cost. It's worth every tear. It's worth every drop of blood if God calls us to do that. So therefore here, the two parables, the parallel short stories picture total abandon, complete surrender. Both of these stories illustrate people who renounce the world at any cost to follow their Savior. Nothing else matters when they find Jesus Christ. And that's the point. It doesn't mean you should abandon your family, of course. It doesn't mean you should abandon your career. Nothing like that. But the point is, you should value Jesus Christ more than you value anything else in this life. And that's the kind of man I want to be, who will follow Jesus Christ at all costs. Are you willing, church, to follow Christ wherever He sends you at all costs? Are you willing to give up and renounce everything? Are you willing to renounce your sin? Are you willing to give up everything that entangles you? Everything that keeps you from having a meaningful fellowship with Christ and a good testimony? Why would you not deny yourself to follow the one who gave himself for us, to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, according to Titus 2 verse 14. Are you going to hold back from the one who was pierced through for your transgressions and crushed for your iniquities, according to Isaiah 53, verse 5? Or the one who traded your sin for his life? Once again, I direct you to Paul's perspective when he says, Philippians 3, verses 7 through 8, Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss 
for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. You see, church, that is the perspective we should have. Everything in this world is secondary because everything that we have in this world is a product of God's grace anyway and His provision and His sustaining grace anyway. He considered His salvation infinitely more valuable than anything this world has to offer. And therefore, this passage is telling us to do the same, to consider our salvation in Christ infinitely more worthy more valuable than anything that this world has to offer. See, we should gladly, gladly give up everything in order to follow Jesus Christ. So that's the first feature of the kingdom that Jesus teaches us in parable form, the preciousness of our so great a salvation. Let's talk about the second one, verses 47 through 50. So there's the estimation of the kingdom and now the purification of the kingdom. And Jesus, with this last one, offers another reason why his followers should assign priceless value to our salvation. Because this illustration here mirrors the parable of the tares. You remember that one? He even repeats the same sentences verbatim in verse 42 and verse 50. And this time, the disciples would have understood that very clearly because they were fishermen. So Jesus gives them, first of all, the image in verses 47 through 48. And then later he gives them the interpretation. But the image is this. Notice the expression, every kind of fish. Every kind of fish symbolizes every person. How do we know that fish symbolizes people here? Because in the second sentence, he says, the angels will sort out bad fish from good fish. Now, angels are not fishermen. They're going to sort out people. So every kind of fish here symbolizes every person. In other words, no one, church, absolutely no one can untangle from this kingly dragnet. And this is another reason that the kingdom shouldn't be confused with the church. Because he says the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a dragnet. He's talking about the fact that no one will ever escape having to face Jesus face to face. This is important because unbelievers may think that, oh, I'm opting out of Christianity, so that means I'll be all right. I politely reject your Jesus Christ. I assume a different type of truth. Therefore, truth doesn't apply to me. You see the silliness of that reasoning? You would never say that to someone, well, that's okay, go off and jump off the building here if you don't believe in gravity. That's your truth, you'll be fine. You would never say that. Whether you believe in gravity or not, if you jump off the building, gravity will believe in you. And that's the point here. No one can escape the sorting out that God's going to do. So no matter whether or not unbelievers say, well, I'm I'm, going to choose a different path for my life. I, I choose a different, I'm glad for you. You choosing this truth, I am glad it works for you. It doesn't work for me. I'm going to walk my own path here. The point is they're going to be caught in the net. See, neutrality with Jesus, church, is only illusion. People think that they can be neutral to Jesus. When in reality, nothing can be further from the truth. Either you are for Christ or you are against him. And that's what Scripture says. We don't say this with a vindictive heart. We don't take this lightly. Every person will face him either as judge or savior. So this is the image, and now the interpretation in verses 45 through 50. And again, this is the reason why we should value the kingdom so much, because there will be a purification. And that's what he's talking about. Same idea of purging from the parables of the tares and the wheat. Angels will separate born-again believers, the righteous, from the wicked at the end of the age. 
In a repetition of the eschatological theme here from verses 36 through 43, Jesus presents the angelic agents of judgment again. They will place believers in the proverbial containers and in the safety of the comfort of God's eternal forgiveness. In church, just knowing that, just understanding that picture should cause you to treasure your salvation. Because even though you face fiery ordeals in this life, according to 1 Peter 4 verse 12, Jesus secured your eternal rest. You are spared from the fiery ordeal that will last forever. He saved you by himself, which means that you had no part in your salvation. You contributed absolutely nothing. It's not God did 80%, I did 20%. He did 100% of your salvation. You contributed nothing to the fact that you are in Christ. He placed you there. By his doing, you are in Christ, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3. So he saved you by himself, for himself. You now belong to him. Remember, we read Titus 2, verse 14, that he saved us from our lawless deeds in order to purify for himself a people for his own possession. You belong to Jesus Christ. Your life doesn't belong to you. Did you know that? Next time you're tempted to say, this is my life. It's not. According to the Bible, your life belongs to God. He saved you by himself, for himself, and finally, from himself, because he will spare you the furnace of fire. So tragically... Unbelievers will experience both the fiery trials of this life and the eternal fires of condemnation. And church, do you see why evangelism is so important? You see why we should never buy into the, that, well, you keep your faith to yourself. No, we should not do that, no matter the cost. Why? Because people are going to hell if we don't tell them. Listen, there's going to be a sorting out at the end of the age. There's only two options. You want to go for the containers, not for the furnace of fire. So, moved by divine kindness, we should tell people that God offers sinners the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. That is what it means to be transformed from wicked to righteous. It's to receive the righteousness of God. That is the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, according to Philippians 3 verse 9. God makes that transformation possible only because He, God, made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. You see why there's no boasting in our part? I chose the great path of becoming good fish. No, friend. You just responded to the message when you heard the gospel for the first time. And you did it only because of the grace of God. So there's the third feature of the kingdom here. The first one is the estimation of the kingdom. The second is the purification of the kingdom. And finally, I want you to see here the application of the kingdom. Jesus is the master storyteller, the master preacher. He gives the interpretation and now the application of all of the kingdom parables here. You look at verse 51 again. He says, have you understood all of these things? Now, I want you to know, church, he's not requesting information. Okay? This is a literary device. It's a teaching technique that all of us who like to teach use. For example, we say, so are we on the same page? Kind of a thing to use a modern expression. So Jesus asks them, have you understood all of these things? And the reason he asks that, church, is to launch the application, which he offers in the next verse in comparison format. So he proposes another parable. I want you to see that. Not a kingdom parable, but another parable when he says, the scribe that becomes a disciple of the kingdom is like the head of a household. You see, that's another parable right there. A, a very short illustration. Not a kingdom parable. Because the kingdom parables, he already explained to them and asked them, have you understood all of these things? 
And all of these things refers to what church? To the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. What he talked about in the beginning of the chapter. The mystery. In other words, I have revealed those mysteries to you. Did you get it? That's what he's asking here. So now that they know the revelation, the dissemination, the opposition, the expansion, the estimation, and the purification of the kingdom. Here's a so what question. See, he's asking them, so what? What do you do now that you understood all of these things? I've explained all of these things to you. Your head is filled with knowledge. Now that knowledge needs to translate into practice. That's the application of the kingdom. Now that they understood the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, they need to be sent. And in order to send and tell people about the kingdom of heaven, they need to be able to teach the new from the old. That is what he's saying here when he says in verse 52, a scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven. In other words, you guys is like the head of a household who brings out of his treasure things new and old and circle the word treasure again. That is how he unites the three last parables with this illustration here. Now that you have this treasure in earthen vessels, now that you understand the estimation of the kingdom, now that you value your so great a salvation, what you need to do is tell others about it. Like a scribe, like the head of a household who brings things new from the old. In other words, connect the Old Testament with what you're learning now. Explain to them that these are mysteries that have not been revealed in the Old Testament, but now have been revealed by Jesus himself. And that's the application, church. That is what disciples do when they recognize the priceless character of our salvation. And I go as far as to say that if you are not telling everybody about your salvation it's possible that you still misunderstand the value of it. Because if it's that important to you, my friend, it'll come out of your mouth. Why? Because Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. In church, that's your strategy for evangelism. You want to be effective in evangelism? Fill your heart with Christ. That's what's going to come out. Our treasure, church, is too precious for us to keep to ourselves. We need to share it. The word says, keep the faith. The Bible says, share the faith. When you share the gospel with someone, church, you speak from the position of one who was poor in spirit. According to Matthew 5 verse 3, who now found a great treasure, redemption and forgiveness, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us, according to Ephesians 1 verse 8. So church, open your treasure chest so others can see the riches that they can gain in Christ. This is not difficult to do. It's more challenging because of our flesh. Your flesh will never prompt you to go share Christ with someone. It has to be the Holy Spirit. In church, that's how you apply the knowledge of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Same thing that Jesus asked them, I ask you, have you understood these things? We've been talking about the kingdom parables now for maybe two months, three months. The question is, have you understood these things? Not, have you heard my sermons? I know you have. Some of you have fallen asleep during the, that's okay. The point is, have you understood these things to the point where you're willing now to go out and apply the revealed mysteries of the kingdom of heaven? Because we just learned three features from Jesus Christ that teach us the pricelessness of our salvation, the estimation of the kingdom, the purification of the kingdom, and now the application of the kingdom. How much do you appreciate your so great a salvation? Because if you do, you're going to share it with everyone you know. And I hope that God will do that in your heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the clarity of your word and the beauty and the artistry 
that we just read from Christ here in the parables, Lord. What, what great stories, Lord, that communicate timeless truth and principles, Lord. The applications are many, Lord, though the interpretation is only one. And Lord, thank you that we now know these mysteries, Father. And Lord, don't let us hold those mysteries in and inflate our heads with knowledge, Lord. I pray that we will estimate the kingdom so much that we'll go out and speak and tell others about our so great salvation. Help us never take for granted, Lord, that we are in Christ. I know that the world will not let that happen because our Christian values are being assaulted by the week, by the month now, Lord. And Father, we, we, we don't panic. We don't, we're not alarmed because, Lord, all we need to do is remain faithful. All we need to do is remain attached to your word, Lord, and remain close, confident that you will continuously draw us near, Lord. And during that process, Lord, help us identify people that need to hear about the gospel, Lord, so that we can tell them about so great a salvation and we can tell them about these riches that they too can enjoy a great and meaningful relationship with their creator and redeemer if only they come to faith in Jesus Christ, Lord. We pray, Father, that Grace Baptist Church, like the apostles of old, will create no small disturbance in our community here, not for the wrong reasons, of course, Lord, but for the right reasons. We're trusting in you for that, Lord, and we thank you for such an honor to be representatives of Jesus Christ in an increasingly dark world. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is radio at gbcsalem.org, or you can visit our website, truthwithgrace.org, for more information about our church and this media ministry. Plus, we're always looking for people just like you to help spread the gospel around the world. This broadcast is provided to you at no cost to the generosity of financial and prayer supporters of Truth With Grace. Please feel free to share it, but please don't charge money for it or edit it in any way without the written consent of Grace Baptist Church. Until next time, this is Truth With Grace.